Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. I am excited about uh, the series we're starting today on the Minor Prophets. We're going to look at four of the Minor Prophets. There are 12 in total. Uh, but just a little background since this is the first week on the Minor Prophets. Uh, the, the title of the Minor Prophets uh, came about around the 4th century by uh, Augustine, uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with their importance or their significance. The only reason they are called the Minor Prophets is because they're shorter than the Major Prophets. So if you take all of the 12 Minor Prophets and you combine them together, it's about as long as the prophet Isaiah, uh, just one of the major prophets. So for, for reference, Hosea that we look at, are looking at today, uh, he is, along with Zechariah, uh, the longest of the minor prophets at 14 chapters. Isaiah, by cons- comparison, is uh, 66. So Hosea is 14, Isaiah, Isaiah is 66. And Uh, We're going to try to get through all of Hosea today. Uh, Another quick note I want to emphasize is when we're talking about the the length of uh, their their writings, it's not the length of their ministries. So it's especially true with Hosea. Most uh, scholars would estimate that Hosea's actual, actual ministry lasted between 40 and 60 years. So we're just talking about the writings that we have in Scripture. Uh, and then uh, Hosea that we're talking about today again was written about 700 years before Christ. Some of you know in 586 B.C., uh, Judah uh, and Jerusalem was destroyed and they were taken into captivity, Babylonian captivity. This is about 100 years before that took place. And some of his prophecies are actually saying, hey, your sin and your rebellion has gotten so bad that this is about to occur as a result. That, uh, that day is approaching And lastly, I want you to recognize before we dive in that uh, Hosea ministered to a culture that reminds me a lot of America. So the sin, the specific sin that they engaged in uh, may not be exactly what we are are engaging in as a nation today, but the overwhelming amount of sin is very much like the nation we live in. And in fact, Hosea chapter 9 verse 7 gives an image of the culture of that day that looks to me like it could be talking about America, so I just wanted to read that to you. Hosea 9, 7 says, The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great. Your sins are so many, your hostility so great. And he says, The prophet is considered a fool and the inspired person a maniac. That to me sounds like where we are in America. If you stand up for the truth, you're a fool, you're a maniac, uh, and our nation is just so overwhelmed with sin right now. So that's kind of a brief overview from a distance of the prophet Hosea. Now we're going to dive into uh, the specifics of his message to the people. Um, So uh, I was looking into it a little bit this week, and there's kind of a a general consensus when it talks about how people learn it's usually divided into usually four main categories. You have visual learners who learn by seeing. You have auditory learners who learn best by hearing. Linguistic learners learn best by reading. And then you have something called kinesthetic. Kinesthetic uh, learners, they learn best by doing. Now, what's amazing is 
uh, you can actually find examples of all four of these, visual, auditory, linguistic, and kinesthetic. You can find them all taking place in scripture. You know, people are reading scripture, Jesus taught scripture, and even with this kinesthetic learning, learning by doing, uh, if you look in Luke chapter 10, what did Jesus do with his 72 followers? He sent them out on their own to learn by doing, to, to go out and do the ministry themselves and learn that way. So uh, uh, I want to focus this morning specifically, though, on visual learners because uh, it's, it's especially to visual learners that Hosea or God appeals to people through the prophet Hosea. Now, now Hosea is not the only prophet where God uses this visual learning technique. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 19, for instance, uh, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah, and he says, Jeremiah, I want you to wait until there are people with you in a room, and then I want you to take a jar, and I want you to smash it. And when you smash the jar, I want you to tell the people, this is what's going to become uh, of Jerusalem. It's going to be smashed in an irre irreparable way. Uh, another instance of this we find in Acts chapter 21. We don't often think of New Testament prophets, but uh, they're in here. So we find Paul arrested by the Jewish authorities in Acts chapter 21. However, uh, Paul was fully aware that he was going to be arrested. Uh, and, and the reason he knew this is because there was a prophet named Agabus who had approached him before he went to Jerusalem. And he used kind of this visual learning technique where you take a tangible item and you say, this is what's going to happen. So in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 10, I think I have that on the screen. Uh, it says, uh, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. So again, just like with Jeremiah and the jar, we have this tangible item and God uses it to paint a picture of what's to come. But uh, it's with the prophet Hosea that this idea of taking something tangible to, to paint the, the image of a spiritual truth, it kind of is taken to a whole new level. So we're going to read about it in uh, Hosea chapter 1. We'll just begin in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reigns of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, I want you to see that. This is how his ministry is launched. This is how God began to speak to him. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Can you imagine being Hosea? And God says, I want to paint a picture for the people. So go marry a prostitute. The, the Hebrew word that, that, that is used here, uh, it, it kind of has a broad spectrum. It literally says, go take yourself a wife of prostitution. Or at best, it says, go take to yourself a wife of adultery. Either way, it's not good. Uh, he's saying, betroth yourself to someone that you know for certain will not remain faithful to you and will leave you for another lover. And God says, Hosea, do this understanding that this is my relationship with my people. 
I have entered into covenant with them with the full knowledge that they will break covenant. And then what we have in Hosea chapter 1 is uh, Hosea obeys and he marries this woman. uh, And if it wasn't bad enough already, her name is Gomer. So uh, chapter 1 goes on to detail how Gomer gave birth to three children. And each of the three children are given a name uh, that God tells them uh, the name, uh, and each of the names have prophetic meaning. So their names are Jezreel, Loruhama, and Loami. And in terms of their meaning, their names are God scatters, not loved, and not my people. Like, can you imagine introducing your children? Hi, this is God scatters. This over here is not loved, and this one over here is not my people. Are they so cute? Um, the, the, the first child, though, I want to look at a little more closely because when we get into the Hebrew, it, it's so fascinating to me. It's the name Jezreel. Now, in the Hebrew language, the name Jezreel comes from the joining of two Hebrew words. The first is El, uh, which means God, and the second is Zara, which we're going to put on the screen here for you. Zara is a fascinating word because depending on the, the way that you're using it, it actually has opposite meanings. So uh, if you're using it in a positive light, uh, it means to sow or to set in place. So if you're reading scripture and it's kind of in, in a positive light, that's the meaning of this word. But this same word, if you're using it in a negative light, means that God scatters or disseminates. Uh, the, the closest English word I could think of would be like the word bad. So we went to the, the car show yesterday, and if somebody was younger than me, they might say those were some bad cars, you know, some, some bad cars there. However, Emily and I have a different understanding of bad cars uh, because we usually drive them. Um, <laughs> I, I, I took one of our cars to the shop to get inspected a few years ago. Uh, true story. Uh, he, says, um, he says the cost to make it inspectable is more than the car is worth. He said, I can't even put it on the lift. The lift will just push right up through the car. So you might want to just get rid of it, uh, which we did. We sold it for a bargain. No, I don't know what we did, actually. Uh, we donated it to the church. I don't know. Uh, but, but obviously, in this case, this word Zara is used in a negative light, and it means God scatters. And you say, well, this, this sounds kind of harsh. God is naming these prophetic children God scatters and not loved and not my children. Uh, It sounds harsh, but as we read the following chapters, we get a glimpse of how far God's chosen people have fallen. Uh, We get a better understanding of how God has arrived at this place because his chosen people, as we read, they are worshiping false gods. Uh, They are having relations with with prostitutes in, in the temple and seeing it as a service to God. I mean, they, it, it's gotten so bad. So, so God spends a lot of time uh, in the following chapters laying out the reasons for the coming judgment and the necessity of it. But what we discover in Hosea uh, is God is not sending punishment for the sake of punishment. He's sending this punishment because it's the only thing that will bring the people back to repentance. Uh, uh, in, in chapter 7, I'll show you this. Uh, God says that the people have strayed from me and they have rebelled against me. But then he says this, it's in verse 13 of chapter 7. He says, but I long to redeem them. This is the heart of God, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of consequences and punishment. I long to redeem them, but they do not cry out to me from their hearts. 
My heart is to redeem the people, but they won't turn to me. So he has to push them into judgment. You know, some people will not turn to God until it hits rock bottom. Do you know people like that? God says they have to go through judgment. And in fact, it's not just that they're not turning to him with, with their hearts, but they're turning elsewhere. If, if we finish this verse, verse 14 says, they do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods. This is God's chosen people. This is like a message to the church of the day. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. So uh, uh, they recognize, or, or recognizing that God's heart is to redeem his people, he has to bring them to this place that they'll eventually hit rock bottom. They'll, they'll, in judgment, turn back to him. God says, you're going to enter a season of judgment. Talking about that, that Babylonian exile in 586 B.C. Uh, but that judgment will lead to repentance, and that repentance will lead to redemption. So before God sends this judgment, he does what he always does, and he gives them a message of hope. So in Hosea chapter 2, I want to show you this message of hope before we move on. Beginning in verse 19, God says, uh, in the midst of all this coming judgment, he says, but I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my love. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say to me, you are my God. Now, this is so cool to me because God addresses those prophetic names that he gave earlier. So the second two children, remember, uh, one of them was named not loved. So here's what God says. I will show my love to the one that I called not loved. In other words, this judgment is not forever. Then he addresses the third name of the child, the child that was named not my people, remember? He says, and I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And, I, and they will say, you are my God. But I'm reading this and I'm just asking myself, why does God, uh, why does he address the second two prophetic names, but not the first prophetic name? And this is why I went so deep into that Hebrew word, because uh, the word that he uses for plant he says, I will plant her for myself. Do you know what that Hebrew word is? Zara. The same word that he used for punishment in the negative context when he said, God will scatter, God will disseminate. He uses here again in the positive context and says, but, but I will sow you unto myself and I will set you in place. It's so amazing when you get into kind of just the linguistic details here that God uses the same word. In one instance, it's in a manner of judgment. In the next instance, it's talking about redemption. So we can see his heart, even in judgment, is to reach this day of restoration, this day of redemption. And though judgment is coming, there will be a day of restoration. So uh, back to the, the narrative of Hosea. Uh, after chapter 1, we don't see or hear from Hosea's wife, Gomer. We don't hear or see from her again until chapter 3. And by the time we hear from her again, she has gone and she's taken another lover. 
so God says this, beginning uh, chapter 3 in Hosea 3.1, it says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. And in fact, the next verse says that Hosea actually had to pay a hefty sum for her return. Uh, she had gotten into some sort of debt, and he had to pay 15 shekels of silver along with a bunch of barley. And many scholars believe that there's an implication here that Hosea didn't have enough silver to pay off her debt, so he had to come up with something to supplement the silver and use a whole bunch of as much as 450 pounds of barley. And the image that it's portraying is that this was a very costly uh, redemption for Hosea. It cost him all the silver he had and then some. Uh, and it's a, an illusion, a foreshadowing of the price that Jesus would pay for an unfaithful church. The Bible says that it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. It wasn't when you were on your best day and had all your makeup on. It was the worst of the worst. Jesus said, I want you, even though I know you'll be unfaithful to me, I'll give you everything I have. I'll give my life for you to redeem you. Now, if we were to go into the, the details of the rest of Hosea, uh, almost all of the 11 chapters remaining detail their sins against God and the coming judgment. So we're not going to go into the specifics there. Uh, and while we, we can't necessarily relate to the depth of their sin, uh, the, the relations with temple prostitutes and things like this, um, we can relate to the roots of their sin. Uh, and that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at the core issues behind their unfaithfulness. Uh, I, I think this is incredibly important because what we find is, is we are guilty of some of these things that we don't even recognize God sees as unfaithfulness. Uh, the first is this. Uh, the people did not seek God in times of trouble, and they didn't credit God in times of peace. Uh, they didn't credit him or praise him when things were good. So we, we see an example of this, just one of many, in Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Uh, it says, Their mother has been unfaithful and has con conceived them in disgrace. And uh, she said, this is the, the part, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me food and my water and my wool and my linen, my olive oil, my drink. Greg, stay on that verse for just a minute. I just want to point something out to you. Uh, I, I have uh, a number of study Bibles that, that just kind of talk about the archaeological context and the, the, the deep context of it. So when it talks about uh, the food, the water, the wool, the linen, the olive oil, and the drink, it's really interesting here. Because there is an ancient Babylonian text. It's called the, the Code of Hammurabi, something along those lines. Uh, and there's also a Middle Assyrian law uh, that we have. And what it contains is what is required of husbands to give their wives. And what we have in those things is uh, the requirements that husbands must provide for their wives. And it says that she was going to other places. Uh, Israel was going to other places uh, believing that God was not providing them. But if we continue in verse 8, it says, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So God is saying, actually, it was me. 
I was holding up my end of the covenant, and you took my blessings, and you spent them worshiping other gods. The amazing thing in all of this, as I come out of it, is we read the story of Hosea, and we think, poor Hosea, but we don't think, poor God. Like, God is going through this, and we're thinking about Hosea marrying the, the woman of adultery. God goes through this every day, yet he chooses us anyway. One of their sins, one of the things that, that God held against them and said, you're unfaithful to me in this, is that you don't acknowledge God for the good things in your life. Uh, Jesus said a person can only receive what he's been given from heaven. And James said, every good and perfect gift is from above. Uh, um, you know, I, I've said this before, and, and, and I'll hold to it. It, it, it holds true. Uh, the church, I, um, seven years in October, will have been a, a church family. And, and what I have seen is far more people leave the church, not when life get, gets hard, but when life gets easy. When, when things go well, and you, and you come to the, I got the promotion, uh, I have money and savings, so God has met my needs, so I'm just going to step aside from the church for all. I have seen far more people leave the church when life gets good than when life gets hard. And that's kind of what God is saying right here. I have blessed my people, and then they go elsewhere, and I provide for them, and they take it elsewhere. He said not only uh, are the people crediting giving credit to the, the other husbands or, or the other gods. But he says, uh, when times are tough, they don't even turn to God. So in, in Hosea uh, 7.11, it says, Ephraim, or Israel, is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt and now turning to Assyria. And there's more of this in Hosea 5 where whenever they're in trouble, uh, they're not turning to God. They're turning to the, the national powers surrounding them, the political powers uh, surrounding them. And uh, I, I've done a, a message before. I just talked about the, the, the idea that we have behind prayer is, is so sad when we get to the place of when all else fails, pray. We should be taking things to God in prayer day one. Uh, God should be our first resort for everything, not our last resort for anything. So uh, something else we see that God saw as unfaithful was they walked with one foot in their faith and one foot in their culture. Because if we read what is taking place in the lives of the Israelites, they're actually still making sacrifices to God. So there are portions of the law that they're still following. They haven't necessarily gotten rid of their law They've just added all of the good stuff, stuff that, that culture uh, offers as well. Verse, uh, seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 8 says that they are mixing with the surrounding nations. They're serving their gods as well. Uh, and, and it's this idea of have, have your cake and eat it too. If I go to church on Sunday, then Monday through Saturday is mine, right? Our daughter, a four-year-old, says right after everything, and I just <laughs> totally picked it up. <laughs> And then the last thing I want you to see is that the people are not truly seeking to know God. Uh, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you 
Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who, who live in this land. That sounds super intense. The Lord has a charge to bring against you. This is the charge. There is no faithfulness. There is no love. There is no acknowledgement of God in the land. That word uh, uh, acknowledgement, it, it's rooted in a Hebrew word, yadah, which means to know by experience. And that's really at the core issue of all of Hosea is they aren't seeking to know God. Now, we find the same thing in Hosea 6.6. 6. It's probably the most uh, well-known verse in Hosea. It says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and I, I desire acknowledgement. It's that same word, the, to know God rather than burnt offerings. Remember, Jesus said that there's going to come a day where people arrive before him in heaven uh, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, let me enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you. And it's not, I didn't have intellectual knowledge of your existence. It's that same uh, experiential relational love. And, And you can read the Bible from cover to cover and completely miss it if you're not pursuing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah said, uh, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. Oh, you can come up, Renee. Uh, Renee and I don't coordinate messages with songs, uh, but but I, I found it so interesting. Uh, one of the things that she talked about as she was leading us this morning, because she kind of said, it's not God and anything. It's not God and drugs. It's not God and money. It's not God. It's God. And that's actually what the people struggled with in the day of Hosea was, well, we'll hold on to God, but let's add the culture to it. Let's add some of these things that we can depend on as well. And if we get in trouble, we don't actually have to depend on God because we can turn to Assyria turn to Babylon. We can turn to the surrounding nations. But when God saw the people and said, they're not fully dependent on me and fully surrendered to me, he said, that to me is unfaithfulness. That to me is like a a wife cheating on her husband or vice versa. God said, I want all of you, every bit of you, Can you stand with me, church? surrender.
talk to Emily, the outreach, talk to me, the other outreach, talk to Dave. I could keep going, but I'll stop. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.